Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Jason Lipschutz, Billboard's Senior Director of Music. Hello, Jason. How are you? What's going on? What's going on? You know, just the typical, uh, you know, over here in Pop Shop land. It's just, you know, the pops are shining and the shops are growing. Everything's doing well. Yeah. That sounds industrious. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know how we are in the pop shop. Um, well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your, I don't know what that means, but you know, whatever. The Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about how BTS scores their first number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart with Dynamite, and how Taylor Swift's folklore ties for the most weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart in 2020. But can she break that tie next week? We'll see what happens. Uh, Plus, we'll catch up on the action that took place on Sunday night at the MTV Video Music Awards and chat about new music from Dua Lipa, Blackpink and Selena Gomez, Calvin Harris in the Weekend, and Christina Aguilera. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe. You do, do enjoy the podcast. I yeah. would hope so. You you co-host it. Um, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you never miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. That is plural. Keith, uh, first, before we get into the chart chat, let's talk for a second about the MTV Video Music Awards. Lady Gaga took home the most wins of the night, five uh, including Artist of the Year, but it was The weekend's Blinding Lights that grabbed the biggest trophy of the evening for Video of the Year. So, you know, I, I we covered the, the MTV VMAs last night. I thought, honestly, it was a, a pretty lively show. Lively and, in quotes. Lively. lively. Well, here's the thing. And I was talking about it with one of my colleagues, uh, one of our colleagues earlier today. It's a really hard show to have the VMA or it's a really hard year to have the VMAs because on the one hand the VMAs are are kind of known for pushing the envelope and anything can happen mishaps on stage shock value and then Miley Cyrus grinds herself on Robin Thicke you know exactly and then you juxtapose that with a a really somber year yeah with a pandemic with a civil rights movement 
And also, just in terms of this past weekend, you have a huge Hollywood star, Chadwick Boseman, passing away and, and really shocking the world. Um, so it was a very strange uh, time to kind of be open it, like be entering VMAs mode. But I honestly think they handled it really well. There were, there were a lot of pointed political speeches uh, and True. performances. You had the baby performing uh atop a cop car uh next to a sign that said stop killing us you had the weekend saying justice for brianna taylor and justice for jacob blake when accepting video of the year so you know honestly there was some of that kind of eyebrow raising vmas content um you know from not in the uh, traditional sense that we've become accustomed to with the vmas though because it just you know you know, someone in Rage Against the Machine, or was it Limp Bizkit, crawling on, like, a piece of, like, the set? That oh, it was, it was a Rage Against the Machine protesting the win of right. Limp Bizkit. Oh, okay. Well, at least I got the players correct. But, yeah, I mean, with, with everything that's going on, combined with, as you said, like, the VMAs, which are always supposed to be, like, cheeky and crazy and anything can happen. It's like it's never meant to be, like, a serious show. For them to kind of have to make a serious show and then have to deal with, you know, a, a death of an in, incredibly important star right before the show, that's very hard in terms of production. It reminds me vaguely of the Grammy Awards earlier this year when like, the day of the show, Kobe died. Yeah. And that kind of and at the at the venue where the Lakers played at Staples Center. I mean, he didn't die there, but that's where the Lakers played and that's where the Grammys were. And right. It just adds a completely different dynamic to the proceedings. But, I mean, all in all, I thought there were some really interesting highlights in terms of the performances. Um, it did, I, I'm not even... Were any of the performances actually performed on Sunday night, or were they all pre-taped? Because they all looked kind of pre-taped to me. I mean, The weekend's performance was clearly pre-taped days beforehand. Um, cause I, there's, would, I would yeah. say, honestly, I think that a couple of them were live. Um mm. I could be I could be wrong in that, and I I I, I don't I, I believe that someone on our team is is speaking to an executive producer on the show. Check Billboard.com for that because that is uh, probably up already on the site by the time you're listening to this. But I I think that in the same way that I couldn't tell, I guess that speaks more clearly to its success because you know there were obviously some that were pre-taped, but. The, the flow of the show, I thought, was strong enough that it kept me engaged. And, you know, in my mind, watching CNCO perform to a bunch of ca cars as like a socially distanced kind of concert. And then also Lady Gaga, who I thought had the performance of the night um, with not only Rain on Me with Ariana Grande sharing a stage in face masks, but also a, a really powerful medley of chromatica songs in during a year in which everybody including myself was looking forward to a chromatica tour that just is not check happen in in 2021 yeah, yeah i mean you know <laughs> seeing her perform stupid love and 911 and rain on me was was really exciting so i think yeah. they 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 made the most of a of a tough situation oh, there's a lot to say i could talk about this forever but we should probably move on okay let's do the chart chat First up on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, to the surprise of probably nobody, BTS smashes in at number one with the group's first chart topper, Dynamite. I guess I should say explodes in at number one, but that might have been too obvious. 
The new single, which is also the South Korean boy band's first all-English language track, debuts atop the list with some eye-popping sales figures. The song sold 300,000 copies in the U.S. in the week ending August 27th, according to Nielsen Music MRC data, of course. That hefty number was assisted by the availability of four different versions of the song on uh, digital services, as well as two physical singles, a 7-inch vinyl and a cassette single. How uh, old-fashioned. Uh, I'm waiting for the 8-track single. I kid, but... I, I half kid, but who knows? That could happen. Actually, 8-tracks weren't meant... They didn't do 8-track singles back in the day, I don't think. It was only for albums. Anyway, Dynamite also did well in streaming activity. <laughs> Jason's just nodding his head on the other side of the I don't zoom. know. I, I, I don't... I have no 8-track memory. It, pre- it predates you. Mm-hmm. Um... Well, the song also did well in streaming. It garnered 32.1 million in U.S. streams. It also drew 11.6 million in radio airplay audience impressions in the week ending August 30th. Uh, the song, however, has yet to debut on the all-format radio songs chart. Jason, uh, last week on the show, you were talking about how there were three big things left for BTS to achieve, uh, at least sort of in the short term. A number one on the Hot 100, check. Uh, their first huge radio hit, Jury's out on that one at the moment. And their first Grammy Award nomination, check back later this year. So, Jason, you're one for three so far. What do you make of BTS's chances uh, for Dynamite to become a huge radio hit and its chances of getting some Grammy love? I think both are strong possibilities. And I think that, you know, over the weekend, I I heard Dynamite twice on on Z100 in the New York area. And it, it sounds like it fits. It sounds like a really up-tempo pop song that kind of leans into this modern disco-influence-tinged pop revolution going on right now. And it's it's got a big hook, and I think that there's just going to be demand for this song at radio. When it, when it comes to Grammys, I, I mean, I guess we'll see, but you, I, I just don't think you can count out um, a, a now a number one single on the Hot 100 for Grammy consideration, especially... Uh, a track as strong as dynamite so you know i like i said you like you said one down two to go and we'll see what happens but this is this is maybe a a, the song that unlocks a a whole bunch of of new um territory for bts does the song remind you of anything because when i heard it the first time it reminded me it sounded like sort of kind of like disco meets uptown funk sort of like it felt like it was purposely echoing kind of like disco funk vibes but not trying to rip anyone off i think it just had that kind of aura to it yeah i I was talking to our colleague andrew unterberger earlier today and and he described it as as wedding music and i I think that's (laughs) exactly correct in a good way yeah in a good way i think that i you listen to it and exactly uptown funk you you hear i got a feeling by black eyed peas like i think celebration by (laughs) <laughs> cool in the game. Yeah, and and I think that's obviously it sounds a little bit different than all all of those, but I do think that this is a song meant to soundtrack celebrations. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure the BTS Dynamite is not going anywhere, so uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it a whole lot in the future. So next up over on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, Taylor Swift's Folklore spends a fifth straight week at number one. Tying Little Baby's My Turn for the most weeks atop the list in 2020. Folklore further becomes the first album to rule for five weeks in a row at number one since Drake's Scorpion logged its first frames 
first five frames at number one back in 2018. Uh, Little Baby's My Turn was number one for five weeks in total, but that was a debut at number one in one week, and then it went away from number one, and then it came back for four weeks in a row. So, you know, uh, we'll see if Taylor can hold on uh, for another week. Uh, in the meantime, let me just rattle off some figures for you. Folklore earned 98,000 equivalent album units in the U.S. in the weekend in August 27th. That's down 3%. Of course, according to Nielsen Music at Marcy Data. So if Folklore is number one for a sixth week, it will have the most weeks at number one for any album since Drake's Views tallied 13 weeks at number one back in 2016. So that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, further, Folklore would also be the first album with six weeks in a row at number one since Views, which spent its first nine weeks at number one. And I'm not going to forecast anything now, but I wouldn't be incredibly surprised if Folklore got a six-week at number one. I'll leave it at that. See what happens. Dun, dun, um, dun. Keith, let's switch gears. Uh, okay. Talk about some new releases that dropped Ooh. last Friday, <laughs> including new tunes from Dua Lipa, Blackpink, and Selena Gomez, Calvin Harris and The Weeknd, and Christina Aguilera. Aguilera. Uh, also, I wanted to, to, we haven't talked about Katy Perry's Smile album yet. See, I was I was going to put that in here, but I wasn't sure if we had already sort of like talked too much about it. So thank you for correcting me for making sure. Well, I'll just, I'll spend thirty seconds on Smile, which is I, I think that this is the album in which Katy Perry and it's funny because last week was the ten year anniversary of Teenage Dream, which obviously had five number one singles on the Hot 100. I I think that um, this is the album in which. Katy Perry, who is a perennial kind of Hot 100 chart-topping presence, um, or at least you know top ten presence over the past decade, um, is is starting to pivot, and I think she's doing it in a, in a smart way, in which she's kind of exploring. You know, obviously you have the the trap pop of a dark horse uh, on one of the tracks. You have sort of the kind of disco uh influence of of 2020 but you also have some adult contemporary songs thinking of a song like only love uh what makes a woman which is a, a great closer on on the on the album and then you have uh never really over leading the never album really over, da, 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 never, like that should have been a much bigger hit yeah i i mean i looked it up i i thought it was lower than it did but it did peak at number 15 which is a respectable peak um but it great song co-produced by zed I, I will say the last thing I'll say about it. I, I did tweet this last week. Justice for Small Talk, my favorite recent Katy Perry song, which is just a bonus track on Smile. What's going on there? Great song. Um, let's move on to Dua Lipa's remix album, Club Future Nostalgia. It sports new dance floor ready reworkings of songs from her Future Nostalgia set less than five months after it was released. Uh, a couple curveballs like remixes of two previously unreleased tracks love is religion and that kind of woman I, I think this is a really fun remix album uh it's obviously following pretty closely on the heels of actual future nostalgia which speaking of the grammys i do think is going to get some grammy consideration but i i think it's it's really fun there's the the stakes are very low it's just basically like do saying like i wanted to make this a little bit more club friendly and record a, a new version of levitating with madonna and missy elliott and hit up mark Watson and gwen stefani and you know it's 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 very fun what do you think of it one i think it's cool that an artist of her stature is doing something like this because this is kind of unconventional um 
I mean, this used to be something that would happen like back in the day. Like I remember yeah. Madonna put out a remix album called You Can Dance. Um, and then Paula Abdul had one. Bobby Brown had one. I mean, that was kind of a thing in like the late 80s, early 90s, where it, as a stopgap between projects, they would put out a remix album. But this is different. This is like a thematic album where they're turning future nostalgia into basically like a continuous in the mix sort of thing where if you play all the songs just continuously, there's no real breaks, so to speak. I mean, there are technically track breaks, but it plays as one moment. You could play it as if you were in a club and you have to think of the album in that way when you listen to it. And it's interesting when you look at the comments on the remixes on, say, YouTube, there's a lot of fans that are critiquing the songs where I feel like they were expecting something else than what they actually should have been expecting. Like, yeah. they're like, oh, I don't like the way this remix sounds and they, she should have redone the vocal and why, why, why? And I'm like, I don't I don't understand why their expectations were not more managed. Because when you listen to it, to me, it sounds like, oh, these are like dance club mixes. They're club mixes. They're yeah. not like top 40 mixes. So I don't know. I think it's cool. I do th- yeah, I do think you're right that it is a, a kind of older concept. Yeah. Uh, club mixes of, of tracks and and people aren't used to their favorite artists kind of co-signing this in, in such a way uh, as a full length. You don't really see that that often. Anyway, anyway, let's move on to uh, Ice Cream, Blackpink and Selena Gomez's new single, which I wrote about last week. I, I uh, spoke to a couple people over at Interscope who uh, did this huge marketing blitz uh, for the song. Selena Gomez partnered with uh, Serendipity, the ice, the like gourmet ice cream brand, for her own brand of ice cream, uh, Cookies and Cream Remix. Keith, I was sent a pint um, of Cookies and Cream re- uh, did, Remix. Did, did for, it come? Did it come with a download of the song inside the ice cream? Absolutely. <laughs> was it an ice cream song bundle? An ice cream bundle. Yeah, <laughs> before it melts. Um, I will say uh, this is uh, not SponCon. This is not sponsored content. I did greatly enjoy the Cookies and Cream remix. I have no impact cream. on your editorial coverage whatsoever. Absolutely not. Uh, I didn't. I don't even think I, I wrote that anywhere, that I really liked the, the ice cream. Um, but anyway. Anyway. There was also a big... What do you think of big... the song? What do you think of the... What do you, what, I mean, what was, what was the... Uh, what did you I think just of the wanted song to also... Then... I just also wanted to mention a, an ice cream truck was driving around Los Angeles. It was in your neck of the woods, Keith. Uh, a branded uh, Selena Gomez Blackpink ice cream truck was driving around Los Angeles over the weekend playing a MIDI version of ice cream, which was pretty cool. Anyway, nice. song's pretty cool. I, I think that um, it it is going to be Blackpink's biggest hit in the U.S. Um, it's, it's very modern sounding in terms of kind of intermixing singing um some kind of yawning beats some rapping uh it's it's very kind of like tiktok friendly and i I think it's the right song for them so do you think like it feels like it feels like blackpink has been like percolating for a while now like waiting in the wings behind bts so to speak is and and you know blackpink had a moment uh like a low-key moment with sour candy with lady gaga on the chromatica album that mm-hmm. wasn't a single, but now we have Blackpink and Selena Gomez together. Is this going to be potentially the song that really breaks them, you know, especially considering that they have an album right around the corner? Yeah, I, I think so. And that's and that's the key because their album comes out in October and they needed uh, this sort of big look 
before this album comes out because they released this. Uh, so Sour Candy came out in May, right before Chromatica came out and peaked at number 33 on the Hot 100. But that's great. I mean, it's a top 40 hit for them. How You Like That is the lead single from their new album. That also peaked at number 33 on the Hot 100. And again, that that's that's great for a new artist, but also it's not what they wanted. They wanted that song to to cross over in a in a much bigger way in the US. So now you have not only this big song with Selena Gomez, but this huge kind of marketing push around this. It it comes in right before the Grammy eligibility period on August 31st. Um, and right before Blackpink's album comes out. So I think like the the social interest in this song um, combined with, you know, the fan bases coming together because Selena Gomez is a huge, huge star and does yeah. not and does not guest. And, you know, when she does guest on tracks like she makes Wolves with with Marshmallow, she makes It Ain't Me with Kygo. They're hits they like hit. they're. Yeah, they, she yeah. doesn't have that many kind of featuring Selena Gomez songs that kind of fizzle. So this was like an all-out uh, offense in, in terms of getting Blackpink on more people's radars, not only in the U.S., but around the, around the world. So I think that you look back to Billboard had its cover with Blackpink about a year and a half ago, February 2019. They performed at Coachella April 2019, They've been working on this new music. Obviously, we'll we'll see how that the album does in general. But this is a big look for them, and I, I think that th- this was the kind of smart decision to go all out on this song and almost ensure a big breakout moment. And I do think that the song rises to the occasion. Um, really quickly, because we we got to wrap up. Calvin Harris and the Weekend dropped a new track, "Over Now," which uh, I I quite liked. It was it's very low key. It's kind of like lounge music, but you know is is and I, I checked the credits it's not sampling anything apparently but it has echoes of regulate aka michael mcdonald's i keep forgetting in there yeah so s- smart move calvin and weekend um yeah i think it's a pretty cool song it, d- it doesn't sound like a like a hit but you know what <laughs> the weekend's still in the Hot top five Jason. well it, it doesn't it doesn't sound designed for a hit and i i, I give Calvin Harris credit for just kind of doing his whole thing this year with his love regenerator project. He's like, yo, you guys are pick- are expecting kind of up temper radio hits for me. Like I'm just going to do, I'm going to be as experimental as possible. And a lot of that stuff's really good. Um, lastly, Christina Aguilera dropped her new version of the Mulan song reflection from the new live action version of the Disney animated film. Of course, Aguilera first recorded reflection for the animated version of the movie way back in 1998, now she's back. This was before Genie in a Bottle. Keith. Yeah. Um, and I'm listen. I wish that this version of Mulan had all the music because that 1998 soundtrack. Oh, that's right. Oh wait. It's flames, man. True yeah. to your heart. 98 degrees. Donny Osmond. Let's get down to business. Yeah. What's the You'll Make a Man Out of Me? What, what song? What's the song that you love? Um, I'll make a man out of you. Yeah, that one. I'll make Jason, a man Jason, out of you. Jason um, Fulon loves the Mulan. He's not joking. He actually really loves it. No, I love it. it. Yeah. Honor to us all is a great song. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, is top notch. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, segue now to the chart set of the week. Hey. We are never, ever, ever 
This week in 2012, Taylor Swift got her first number one on the Hot 100 with We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. The song vaulted from its debut at number 72 to number one in its second week on the chart dated September 1st, 2012. It spent a total of three non-consecutive weeks atop the list. The track was the lead single from Swift's album Red, which also topped the Billboard 200 chart. Swift scored three more top 10 Hot 100 hits from the album, Begin Again, the title track, and I Knew You Were Trouble when you walked in. Since getting it together at number one, Swift has charted five more number ones with Shake It Off, Bad Blood, featuring Kendrick Lamar, of course, Blank Space, Look What You Made Me Do, and This Year's Cardigan. So there you have it. This week in 2012, Taylor Swift got her first number one on the Hot 100 with We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Alrighty, we've reached the end of our big shoe. Um, what song should we go out on, Jason? Let's do Begin Again. Great great Taylor Swift song. Alrighty, and we'll see you next time. Bye! But on a Wednesday in a cafe Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.